right, Kyle. We are we are live, my friend. Welcome back. It's uh it's been a while. I know it's it's been about, been about a year. The thing is with like LinkedIn and like yeah. any kind of digital platform is that it kind of eats time, but you don't also don't feel like you're apart from people. You yeah. feel like you're constantly connected to them, so it it doesn't feel that long, really. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. I I was thinking about this right before we hopped on and. I feel like since since we last talked, you've just exploded on LinkedIn, and you you're always you're always testing different content formats and different length of posts, uh, different hooks, and it, it's just it's so fun. As somebody who also loves the platform, to mm-hmm. see somebody really testing and sort of like you know, incubating ideas in in real time. So so power to you for for all of that, man. I know it's not easy. But uh, it's, it's been really cool to watch you grow. No, I mean, that's the art, isn't it? I, I think you see a lot of very successful creators on there, like huge audiences, and they make it look easy. But like, like you say, I mean, I'm always on there trying new things because, yeah. you know, I'm a marketing consultant. Specifically, I'm a content marketing consultant. And I think you have to practice what you preach. Mm. You know, if you're not doing it yourself and you're not building your own sort of thing using those techniques, then you, you don't really have the authority to to share your own insight and how, how to do it for, for others. I think you need to have skin in the game is the the way I view it. But yeah, amazing platform. And, and what a transformation LinkedIn's made over the last couple of years. It used to have those horrific uh, like viral posts going around with people in hotel rooms or tripping over the dog on the way to an interview or whatever it was. But all that stuff seems to be flushed out now. It's a much better place to be. It is. And it's one of those, uh, we've talked about this on this podcast before, but it's I feel like one of the platforms where one of the only platforms where like dwell time is, is like a significant, it seems to be a sort of like a significant like ranking factor in how yeah. they determine what content to to serve or not. Because I get engagement on posts, like I'll post something on like a Monday and it'll still get engaged with on like a Friday and like no other platform yeah. is that true, right? Like when I post on now X, right? It's, I'm going to get all the interaction I'm going to get within like a 12 hour period of time. And then that's it. And same thing for like Instagram. It's like maybe a day, but beyond a day, like no one's going back and, and liking content or watching, I guess reels are maybe a little bit different, but LinkedIn seems to be one of the only platforms where, you know, you regularly see engagement continue, you know, days and sometimes even like weeks after the initial post. Yeah, and I think a lot of brands don't realize this, that when you, I hate to use the word consistent because it's kind of cliche at this point, but when you do post consistently, you seem to build up these compounding benefits. Mm. So it's not the post on the day that necessarily necessarily does all the work. It's all the other ones that are still in that ecosystem performing and dragging others up with them. It's a bit more of a of a pool rather than like a linear way to, to think about it. And you are right, LinkedIn's longevity is it's stupidly broken. Yeah. But similarly, things like TikTok now, you used to be all about viral hits, but now there's this tendency of, of content that's been published like months ago, sometimes resurfaces at the appropriate point. That, that certainly happened to a, a few people in higher ed. In, in the UK, we have something called clearing and the kind of period starts in, in July and a lot of universities would drop in there, sort of clearing educational videos. Clearing is when we kind of had degree spaces left over and we tried to get them filled in August. Yeah. And the content that was published way in the past was actually surfacing again on, on results day months later on, on TikTok, right? Huh. So there is definitely that more 
longevity to social content now than there never has been. And to be honest, I welcome the shift because it gets us off the content hamster wheel and it yeah. gives you a bit of a day off cam sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't agree uh, with you more. One of the things that you said a second ago that I thought was uh, really poignant was this idea of as a content marketer yourself, as a content marketing consultant yourself, needing to do the work of regularly creating content, essentially like honing in your, your craft, right? And how important that is. I, I think when you look at marketing leadership, specifically in higher education, the marketing leaders that I know and admire are folks that, that are also like doing the work. Like, uh, you know, I think of like Jamie Hunt who comes to mind. She's always testing on, on her own personal LinkedIn, on her ex, you know, what, whatever it might be. She's regularly creating content. And I can only imagine, like, I don't actually know any of her team members personally, but I can only imagine that when her team members, you know, go to her with an idea for a different kind of a campaign because she's living in these ecosystems she's ha, has a, a stronger likelihood right of of uh, first and foremost understanding why something like that might work and then second being willing to give approval and and you know the necessary budget to, to go ahead and like make it happen whereas it's a lot more difficult to do something like that if your marketing leader, quite frankly, just doesn't understand what marketing is like today, right? And and that's, I, I know, a huge friction point for for a lot of our listeners where, you know, they have these ideas, they understand like the creator economy, they really want to dabble in figuring out how influencer marketing could actually work in their specific mm -hmm. context, right? Or how do they empower their admissions counselors or their program coordinators to be these like micro influencers in their respective fields? And, and they get it, right? But trying to figure out how to convince leadership that is how attention, right, is harnessed today is is quite difficult. Yeah, and it's not a campaign mentality. And I think that's one of the main sticking points. What we're used to is having an intense piece of marketing activity mm. that interrupts someone's experience or advertisements over, I don't know, a three-month period or whatever. Then you see the results after it. But now, like you say, it, you see a whole generation growing up with their main content consumption coming through people, individuals, creators, YouTube, TikTok, whatever it is. And those relationships are built over a, a longer period of time and the content's more more engaging. They, they engage with it because they're generally interested in it. Mm. And it's completely a different play and a longer term play than than something that's like an advertising hit that just happens in a, in a shorter window and yeah. and convincing people that that's now the, the kind of given way that's that's the table stakes to connect with a young person these days is is very difficult because your typical marketing office in higher ed is just not set up to to deal with that they, yeah. they don't necessarily track audience growth they look at lead generation in, instead and it's two very different philosophies on how to build pipeline and how to eventually recruit from that audience further down the line so yeah i i feel i feel for them i see the challenge and you know part of the work i i do as a consultant is help universities start to think more in that that way we've just discussed but it's not an easy journey yeah yeah and it's one of those things where it's almost like you have to be incredibly patient and then also incredibly active at the same time meaning you, you need to constantly be testing things, putting things out. You you have no idea, quite frankly, like what's going to work. I don't know. I'm sure you can relate to this, Kyle, but I know from my own experience, right, in a very, as, as, a, as like a microcosm of this bigger conversation, 
what uh, there's some there's sometimes where I'm, I'm convinced a post is going to perform incredibly well and it just like totally tanks and i'm like i don't understand like i published the at the time of day that i think from my own data like works the best all this stuff i like followed all the rules and it just it just totally tanked right and so from from yeah. a university or really sort of like any institutional perspective when you are dealing with like real needs right like we need butts and seats in in these in these programs by this particular date right it, mm. I, I, the idea of being like patient enough to wait to see what's working but then also consistent enough to make sure that there are, are enough things out there that could possibly work for you is is quite frankly just th th there isn't a there isn't a formula right and i think that that's no. the problem right there's not a prescriptive like marketing used to be much more prescriptive and i think that we've lost the the prescription for a marketing campaign and that's that's scary i i actually think it's great like it's great for the user it's great for creators i think ultimately it, it's going to serve us well but it's really difficult for marketing leaders who are trying to report on an increase by x percent in inquiries and an increase in y percent on in applicants and understanding the you know the the strategies and tactics that are needed to do that and i actually think that that's probably why we we don't see as much innovation right is because like we know the pre the prescriptive method and we can kind of get a sense we we, we sort of all know what that will look like and in lieu of having something more concrete we end up just defaulting to what we did, what we did before. Cause it's, cause quite frankly, what we did before is actually now really easy to measure. It's easier to measure today what we did before than it is to like do the work that we need to be doing today. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that that's where some of the challenge lies. Well, this is, you, you've hit on a couple of nice points there. I mean, firstly in marketing, we tend to be drawn to what is easy to measure. Mm. And I believe that's kind of made us over index for activity on on social media channels because they are very easy to measure likes follow shares impressions but actually when you look at some of your highest performing content and i know this for my clients it's actually the least effective of driving applications and, and genuine in inquiries just because it scales yeah yeah it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's connecting in the way that you you want it to and it's funny as well, like you, you mentioned the the one post, and I get them sometimes. Like one post doesn't perform well, and it and it tanks. But you know, if your institution is focused enough on what it represents and it's consistent on its POV and its message, it doesn't really matter if one post doesn't perform because all the others have sort of connected over time. Yeah. yeah. And then you know, it's all of those things working together that actually do the lift, rather than that one post you had huge aspirations for that, but didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, Kyle, that I know that you've been thinking a lot about is this idea of like, I think you called it when we were DMing on LinkedIn, like anti-viral content, right? Or like yeah. th this idea that the next maybe chapter of content marketing looks, looks less viral. I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth or pretend I really understand how, what that means to you. I just want to ask you, like, what what is antiviral content? Well, I was supposed, I was supposed to start thinking about it, funny enough, in 2020, but I couldn't really use it because there was something else going on at the time that sort of stole the, the kind of uh, language around virality. <laughs> but I've been thinking quite quite hard about what's this next iteration of social looks like. And, you know, we already know that a lot of young people are now moving into more private circles or look at more instant messenger based experiences. There's even data out from Pew Research Center that shows that 
within the next two years, more millennials will be using social media than those who are younger and fall into the, the Gen Z category because they're looking mm. for alternatives. And the the sort of age of social over the last 10 years has really been characterized by virality, right? And this is how we measure success on social media is how many people we reach, you know, how fast we can get content out the door. But the, the closer I look at it, the less effective that is becoming mm. the number of viral videos on tiktok has fallen sharply huh. because there's too many creators on tiktok essentially so there's less big fish for us to gather around and you see this real breaking down and segmentation of audience around individuals with very niche topical interests and you have this really bizarre thing when you go to conferences where there's creators and you have this person who's got like six million followers and you've never heard of them yeah. Because they don't appeal to you. They yeah. they appeal to someone else, right? And we don't think that way in content marketing at the moment, in high reds. You know, we we are very keen to engage at campaign brand level stuff. Yeah. And we try and appeal to everyone. We might do some segmentation here and there, but on social media, it does tend to be an overarching approach when really to get the benefit out of these channels we need to be niching down and starting to think about specific audience needs. Mm. And I don't necessarily think that answer comes from social media. I've noticed like, for instance, email is performing extremely effectively with young people in 2023, which yeah. sounds very strange, but there's definitely a few schools in the U S and we'll probably get onto it in a minute who are using email in very creative ways and actually connecting with an audience and not just trying to go for scale via social media. Yeah. Well, it happened again. Prospect Paul is excited about attending your institution, but is getting consistently confused by all of the information and tasks he needs to complete to enroll, creating friction, and even worse, possible melt. You knew this would happen again, which is why you've been flagging the need for a come to Jesus meeting with leadership from marketing, admissions, and IT to audit the digital experience for prospective students. Here's the problem. You're not gonna convince Mark from marketing to let go of his marketing automation software. Adriana from admissions just got set up with her new CRM and Isabel from IT is still working through ticket requests from last Christmas. But what if you could come to the table with a solution that didn't require anyone to let go of their software while at the same time ensuring a frictionless experience for prospects and current students alike? Well, my friend, guess what? Today is your lucky day. Meet Pathify an innovative higher ed engagement hub that puts students at the center of their college journey. Pathify sits at the center of your school's digital ecosystem, becoming the single user experience interface tying together all systems, content, and communications. Their engagement hub elevates the information that matters most and pushes systems like your SIS behind the scenes where they belong, which makes it simpler for students to discover and engage with the opportunities your institution provides at every step of their higher ed journey, from prospect all the way through to alumni. What's even better is that Pathify has a mobile experience that provides 100% parity with the responsive web app, so your campus app is always in sync. Pathify is a platform that every stakeholder on campus, from marketing to admissions to student affairs to IT, etc., can get equally excited about. You can learn more about how Pathify is uniting strategic units across campus and bettering the entire student experience by visiting pathify.com. And be sure to tell them that Zach from the Enrollify podcast sent 
you their way. Again, that's pathify.com. And be sure to mention that you heard about them on the Enrollify podcast. All right, folks, back to the show. Yeah, I'd love to unpack that a little bit more too, because what's also happening in just like the the greater content ecosystem, right, is you see platforms like, you know, Beehive, which is this, you know, really popular like newsletter platform now. It seems like everyone and their mother is like getting on Beehive and talking about why they love Beehive so much, right? And Tyler Dank, who's their founder, is an incredible like dude. He was, I think, at, at Morning Brew before and then, you know, yeah. YouTube before that. So he's just a great like marketer and, and product engineer, et cetera. But one of the things that's really interesting about like why I think why Beehive has grown in popularity so much as as of late is it's just quite frankly because everyone wants to start a newsletter right and yeah. everyone feels like there's a they have a particular thing that they can say to an audience that they want to develop and we're seeing like newsletters just explode i mean this is this isn't new this has been around for for a while but i would say like if you look at from like 2021 through like today just the 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 amount of people that I know that have a newsletter has just skyrocketed. Like it really has grown exponentially. And I think a lot of that was people starting side hustles, maybe like during the pandemic, during, you know, when they had a little bit more time, et cetera, everyone kind of feeling like they had, they could be a creator of some, of some sort. Right. And so to your point about like email, it's not surprising to me that like email, even for these younger audiences is performing well, given the fact that there are all these people who are spending an incredible amount of time creating content in email format via these platforms like like Beehive? Yeah, I, I think as a form, it's really coming into its own again. It's almost like another resurgence. And e- even if you expand out the the definition of what email marketing is, I mean, I, I'm very close to my own email newsletter. I know how effective the channel it is. And as a few caveats I'll, I'll say with it, you you see this, this cycle happening again. We, we keep prioritizing scale. So yeah. for instance, I see some LinkedIn creators speaking about how their LinkedIn newsletter has 10,000 subscribers. In reality, it really doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a number of 10,000 next to it. But if you know how many people actually connect with that, it's, it, the reality is a lot smaller. And you know, I'll, t- I'll talk about my own example. I mean, my newsletter... And when I went full-time my company, I, I only had 350 subscribers, right? Yeah. And that sounds like really low, but yeah. actually that's all you need if you're really focused on your audience. On the back of the the email marketing programs, I've heard of a few colleges who are really experimenting, having good, good luck with this. There's a, a university in, I believe it's Antwerp, it's called KD, KDG University. And they completely rebe- rebuilt their email marketing programs from scratch. They completely orientated the content from all the regular inquiries they get from students, the stuff they consistently had to, to type out. They turned that into email nurture flow. They added in content that students needed to know on top of that. And just by doing that marketing activity alone, they have managed to halve the number of inquiries they receive every year, but double the number of applications. Interesting. So you always hear about admissions teams being overworked and then requires need to get through. Marketing can really help by just, you know, sorting out that email process, thinking more like newsletter creators. And it's not make-believe. No, that's that's real numbers. It's completely transformed the fortunes of this school. And they don't even really run social media campaigns. So that this is what the the kind of things we need to be thinking about and taking advantage of. There's this popular trend in in email marketing right now that, you know, creators that I at least follow are sort of like latching onto, which is this idea of a, a very simple, like mostly like text-based 
email that sort of tells like a very quick story each day. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a very short story. It's basically somebody saying the same thing they've said a thousand times, but it's like another, it's, it's another story to like illustrate their point. And I am subscribed to a few people that do this. And like half the time I'm just, I'm like really like kind of annoyed. I see their, their email pop up and I just hit delete and I don't even like open it. Right. I don't know why I haven't unsubscribed, but like half the time I feel that way. And then the other half of the time I'm like, okay, I, I, I open it and I read it and I actually read the whole thing. And I'm like, I'm impressed by, I'm impressed by the copywriting. Maybe that's really yeah. what it is. And then there's always one little like hyperlink thing of like, Hey, buy my course or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But what I think is so interesting, and I think what maybe, maybe the teaching point here is, you know, oftentimes when you talk to hired marketers or, or admissions folks that they, they don't, and you talk about their email marketing program, they, they feel like they are over emailing students and, or they feel like they don't have anything else to say. Right. And, and I'm like, I get emails from people that I follow every single day who literally they're <laughs> only trying to sell this course. Like that is like, that is the only thing that they are trying to do, but they take their, they take that email so seriously every day and every email is different. Like it's not the same. It's, you know, it's talking about the same thing. The CTA is the same. But the framing and the positioning is so story driven. It's such an easy read. And I, you know, 50% of the time end up reading it, right? I have not bought any of these people's courses, right? But I, I'm still, <laughs> but, but I'm still sort of like engaged with their communication. So all that is to say is I think re, re architecting, reimagining your entire email program and it literally just like taking notes from some of these like creators. And just trying that out, right? A daily email that tells us a slightly different story, but about the same thing. Maybe it's maybe it's something that you do leading up to your big open house, right? Like what if instead of all the traditional emails you sent, you spent nine, the 90 days before the open house and every single day you sent an email about with one student's story about coming to an event and how that changed the perspective of a particular college or university or something as simple as that, right? I wonder if, if in, in many ways it is actually like that simple and it's just something that seems counterintuitive because we all feel like we get too many emails. I don't know what you think about that, Kyle. I think you're absolutely right. Miami University does something very similar. So they completely reworked their email comms and what used to happen is that they highlighted the typical student success stories. Mm. You know, students who are like track stars and they basically tick the box, the golden student. But after attending lots of youth conferences, they discovered that actually students wanted to hear from people who too had their anxieties, mm. were scared of going to university, all these kind of negative emotions, but they wanted to see that reflected and feel at ease that they weren't the odd one out. Because let's yeah. face it, most students are quite anxious. So not, not everyone's a track star, right? Yeah, so yeah. they changed the type of stories that they put in their email and they always made sure that the people telling those were very relatable and human in the things that they've spoken about. The open rate goes up, engagement rate goes up. They also repurpose subject specific communications in those nurture tracks. So if you sign up and you want to do a major in engineering, they've got a regular running podcast that covers all subject areas, but mm. each episode covers a subject in in detail so they take that they cut it up that's then got five emails for the engineering major track it's a beautiful way to use content and again it just keeps pushing up their open rates and their engagement because the content's coming from students who they relate to and then the content's also about the subject they're interested in 
and they're just repurposing a podcast that's happening anyway. Again, taking the leaf out of your book there of just look at what creators are doing yeah. and then putting that into like a school nurture flow. Yeah. Really basic stuff. Doesn't involve you spending like $50,000 on Google Ads to try and get more people in the top of the funnel. It's looking at what's already in there, how you can engage with them better because you've already got them. So yeah, we always need to work harder with the communications that we give to those people in the middle of the funnel. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super interesting. And, you know, one of the other kind of notes here maybe is that when you go and you look at brands outside of higher ed, you look at companies outside of higher ed and you see what they're doing with their marketing and their email communications, right? You know that the amount of resources that they have poured into testing, right? And iterating and whatnot are 10 times, if not a hundred times what any of the folks listening to this podcast, like budget is right. So don't sort of like recreate the wheel, just do what they're doing. Like literally like find a brand that you respect that is, you know, a, of a certain scale, understand their communications, under, look at, follow them on social, see how they communicate. And again, your audience might be slightly different, but there are, if you follow enough brands, there, are, there is a lot of consistency, right? In, in terms of how they communicate, regardless of like their core, core, you know, demographic or audience. And then test that because, you can, in some sense, you can rest assured that the the testing and the iterating that they have done with the resources that they have available is at least some indicator that it's worth trying, literally copying what they're doing, right? Making it your own and seeing if that works for, for your constituency. If it doesn't, great. Like now you know, but I, I feel like sometimes people spend so much time on like market research or so much time on trying to like, you figure out, oh, what is the right tone we want to strike with this particular communication? It's like, just go do what like Nike is doing, right? And and just and just like clone it and, and try that and then see if it works. If it doesn't, great. Now go try what, you know, another well-known brand might be doing, right? I want to come back to this idea of like antiviral content though, Kyle, because so so just just so I understand this correctly, there's this What's, ha what's happening particularly on social is that because of the number of people creating content, because of the number of creatives, creators out there that are regularly and very consistently producing, you know, well put together content, it, it's just quite frankly harder for any one particular content asset to, to go viral. What do you think like that means or like what, what is the solution then for how we should be thinking about content production in higher ed? I think we need to spend more time understanding what people want at a subject level in, in the past. And there might be different in the, in the U S but in the UK, we have uh, specific schools to look after certain portfolios of, of subjects. And in the past, we built social media presences around those schools as an administrative structure. Mm. It's kind of like the websites of yesteryear where, you know, the business in, internal rep, represents on the website we see the same as social media and I think a really quick win for people is to look at, okay, which subject areas are our, our flagship ones? How could we take some of that and turn it into a program of content that speaks to that audience? Mm. Now you can't do that for every subject area you have. So yeah. you need to make choices. These choices might consider which content, which topic, which degree subjects can be translated more into that uh, content space than than others might be easier to do it with something like i don't know entrepreneurship or business than yeah. it would be with engineering per se and then you understand all right well how what content format are we going to use and how are we 
get that to our young people rather than just going this top of the funnel general branding campaign yeah the other thing to consider with the virality aspects is it's not just the filling up of social social networks and there's being more creators but more larger creators are generally pointing out that we're just going a bit crazy with this sort of content and trends I saw a tiktok trend recently called blueberry milk nails which essentially like blue blues nails painted blue but there's a bunch of large tiktok creators just saying this is enough this is just stupid and it's almost <laughs> being ridiculed yeah and when you're seeing trends being ridiculed by the people who are supposed to be spreading them around i think that's a big sign to say that that viral age is is coming to an end mm. so we can still use social media it's not going to go anywhere but i think actually thinking more like niche creators and how they use platforms it's probably a good start rather than thinking, okay, what's the brand level content initiative? Maybe understand which subject areas you want to prioritize and then build content marketing programs off the back of those, build audience, and then over time understand, all right, well, we've noticed that our applicants who subscribe via these might be a newsletter or whatever you're doing or podcast, but we notice that whoever subscribes to this newsletter about this subject area, they make their decisions quicker they're more likely to turn up and yeah. they maybe help others along the process too. You can definitely look for the signs that your content's working, but that isn't necessarily in those traditional metrics that we've used, like open rate, how many views a video has got. It's much more subtle, but you can track it if you've got someone's email address. Yeah, yeah. You know what all this is making me think of, Kyle, is it seems that brands today are are much more patient with sort of their pipeline than than maybe they were a a decade ago. And what I mean by that specifically is like, I think about brands I follow on social media, startup brands, you know, SaaS tools, whatever it might be, larger, you know, national brands. And let's just stick with Beehive since I talked about them earlier, right? They're, They're a newsletter platform. The, their team is like many, many members of their team are incredibly active on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I engage with them a little bit. They engage with me just so we're clear. I'm not like a beehive like customer at all. I've never even used their, I've never used their product, but I can see maybe one day getting to a point where it would make sense to use, to, to kind of switch platforms from the platform I'm currently using. And if I do switch platforms, it's definitely going to be beehive because I just, have seen them around and they're funny and they're engaging and we we've connected on social. There's, there's been no pressure from them. Like I'm not getting calls from beehive sales reps, like encouraging me to sign up for their newsletter platform. Right. And, and I, all that is to say is like, I wonder if actually like what's happening is demand gen, the, the lead time, right. From, from like becoming aware of an, of a product, the lead time from brand awareness to actual, like, purchasing decision is just a lot longer because there is so much more out there, right? Like we are just inundated with content from brands all the time. There, you've probably, my, most of the emails I receive in any given day are, are people trying to sell me something. Like it is insane. Like I, I get more emails from people trying to sell me something in a day than I do like real people, which is insane. Like that, mm-hmm. that's kind of like where we're at right now, right? And so, Anyways, I wonder, this This is not necessarily like an easy thing to hear, but I wonder if really like the timeline to to enroll in a program, if you're talking about the graduate level, but even, even like at the undergraduate level in choosing a college, I wonder if like 
we have to go even we we have to extend that timeline from initial brand awareness to to when a student might might actually enroll simply because attention is so hard to grasp and to control and to and to and to retain right now given just how much how many different organizations are are competing for the same attention i i think we also have to maybe consider that the way we capture attention is is going to change as as well and you're right to say there's there's a lot of content and we can go to a, a younger age to try and get them earlier but the more i look at something like um zme or mm. in its european equivalent go in for instance you see students join these large student communities pre-app communities yeah on these university social networks and they are just it's literal true peer-to-peer conversations and they're almost pulling each other through the marketing funnel independent of the brand mm. so i've had a look in zme communities and I've seen a few examples of conversations with students, a student is feeling stressed over something and they're thinking, oh, I don't think I can get to this university. But then these strangers or these almost like digital friends then kick in and support them and yeah. give them the confidence they need to keep going. Mm. And the brand is nowhere to be to be seen, but that's very powerful. Mm. And there's even examples of when students pick an institution based on those digital friends they've already made rather than maybe other suitable factors that make an institution attractive because they have no friend network there. And that's a completely new way to think about it. Yeah. Because in the past, sure, in you know, you go to like a site, go to a forum, get some advice from a student, or you'd have a peer-to-peer chat with a prospective student talking to a current student, but there was never really a space where students at the same point in the journey, semi-independent of the brand, had come together and move through that channel together but we're seeing that now and to succeed in those channels you don't need to be hammering content every day you don't need to be publishing you don't need to go viral you need people who genuinely believe in what you're doing and we're not used to that so that's a big shift but great because you don't need to be the content hamster wheel but it's a very different community play so schools are in the business helping students make friends I think that's a good thing, but there needs to be a lot of infrastructure and a real shift in how we think about marketing to make that happen. What do you think about content like quality and what what the future of that looks like, right? Because a couple of years ago, you'd see people saying things like, you just need to post any sort of like video with your face talking to prospective students. Who cares? Do it from your iPhone. Like students care about, don't care about quality. They just want authenticity. And like the most authentic thing is, you know, you looking down with your triple chin at your phone and saying like, you know, come to my event. Right. And like that, like there were a lot of people spreading that, that like gospel. Right. And again, the world has changed so much in just a, a very short last last couple of years here for for lots of you know macro reasons but from from my perspective right the quality of content matters significantly more today than i think it did even a couple of years ago but what do you think about this like what what is what is the future of like content with respect to its quality so there's a couple of thoughts i have on this firstly from an ops side sometimes in order to discover the quality you need to publish 
quantity to work out what's a bit bad and what sticks you need to understand what resonates with the content format i do that i advise my my clients to do that part of the content marketing process is working out what resonates where you get traction and then leaning into those ideas so almost live testing if you like yeah but now we've had a influx of ai tools now we have so many accessible technologies that can instantly up the quality of your video your sound it's becoming harder for an audience to stomach something that doesn't look good i mean to give you an example right now i'm just using my iphone camera and an ai app to blur my background slightly right and I pay a, a yearly fee for that. It's $30 a year or something. But I haven't got a professional camera or anything. Yeah. I'm just using existing technology. I've got an augmenting it with AI. This is a basic and a mic and all that sort of thing. You can get these things off Amazon for you know, a reasonable price nowadays. So yeah. the days of staring into your iPhone at a weird angle are kind <laughs> of in, in the past. But at the same time, you, you need to learn from publishing a lot to work out what, what sticks. That's my pers- perspective on it at the moment. Yeah, I, I think I think you're spot on. I, I just think the appetite for quality is going to just it's just, just going to increase students, especially students who've had access to social since they were young and students whose maybe first introduction to social was on like Instagram and TikTok. Right. Even sort of just like the quality of like a, a good reel that's totally been shot on an iPhone. Right. There there are just expectations for like beauty and how things should look, you know, visually how things should sound, right? How things should be pieced together that I think so much of it, we can't even like articulate unless we really analyze why we like the content, but you kind of know it when you, when you see it. Right. And and then, and then, you know, it when you don't see it too. And so I don't know, I I think, you know, these AI tools are going to really, really help make this more possible for especially smaller, like under-resourced teams. But like, I, I don't know, as a betting person, um, if I were a betting person, I should say, um, I'd bet that it's going to matter. Quality is going to matter more than quantity very, very, very soon. And it's going to be more important that you produce something of quality, even if consistency has to like take a little bit of a backseat. It can't take too much of a backseat, but take a little bit of a backseat and then just increase the promotion around that that piece of quality content. So like rather than just feeling like you need to, you know, post a video every day or you need to post you need to update your insta story every day your school's insta story every day i would say no find a way to make one reel a really really good reel each week but then throughout the week share that reel in in a number of different ways yeah there's a core piece and then it's repurposed for a an individual day because i I do believe if you feed feed an algorithm that's a strange phrase isn't it but (laughs) if you do have that sort of habit and you're building consistently whether it's like three days a week or whatever it is you 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 do get a bit of better traction because of the compounding benefits of of these things but you are right i think what we're what we've seen is this really busy content age and a lot of brands are, are quickly realizing they can't keep up that pace yeah if you step off the hamster wheel that's it and you know this is why we we've been talking about email marketing programs as well because you can step off that hamster wheel and your audience isn't going to disappear and, and go somewhere else yeah. and have access to them whereas to keep front of mind and all these channels that we've 
become addicted to over the last 10 years. You have to be constantly posting. I don't think that's healthy in the long term. And we'll probably look back at this age and think, yeah, that wasn't a, that wasn't a good time, was yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder, though, too, if like now is the time to, like when I think about, when we talk about content marketing, it, it's just like a very large umbrella of things, right? Uh, and it, depending on who you talk to, it can mean a lot of different things. I wonder if, if we're entering a season where folks are really paying attention to quality storytelling, even above all else, right? Like, can you do the work of delivering something that is exceptional, exceptional with respect to quality, even if you can't be some somebody that like posts very consistently? I don't know how much you follow like podcasts outside of outside of higher ed, Kyle, but like the acquired podcast. Have you heard of the acquired podcast? I've heard of it. It's not on my list though. Okay. So acquired podcasts are like three to four hours, like long, right? So think about like a, you know, a Joe Rogan or Lex Friedman sort of like interview kind of yeah. style podcast. But what what it is, it's very well researched topics around like major companies. So they, they'll tell like the story of Nike, right? Over a three to four hour episode. Okay. Acquired has no like consistent publishing like they like their goal is like once a month but you never really know when like an acquired episode is going to drop but when it drops it is so quality it's been so well researched right and the the banter between the 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 two co-hosts are is just great right and it's it takes me like you know probably a week to listen to the episode right because i I don't ever have four hours where i can listen to it straight but eventually I, i get through that episode right and, and I wonder just like if that model and I, I obviously like the episode is incredibly like well produced. Right. But I wonder if we're going to see and they've grown dramatically in popularity over the like, especially the last like year and a half. And I, I just wonder if that's going to be something that we're going to see way more of is like a true investment. Finally, like a, a, a core investment in, in real quality content production. And it's going to have to be at a frequency that is still probably going to make some people feel uncomfortable because it, you do have to maintain some level of consistency. Consistency. You can't put out like one brand video a year, right? Like that's not going to work. But, but I actually wonder if that's what the future of content marketing will look more like is all right, we're going to pull back a little bit with respect to our quantity of production, but the stuff that we do put out because it is we do want it to be a reflection of our brand is going to be so incredibly exceptional that folks are going to be talking about it for the whole month until that next piece of content comes out. Yeah, definitely as well in this age of AI where content is commoditized, it can be done at yeah. scale, but the stuff that can't be is new ideas and original thinking i also listen to a podcast not quite a four-hour one but an hour and a half normally drops every couple of weeks every three weeks called follow you different by chris lockhead brilliant show he doesn't give his guests any questions in advance and there's a really like deep Mm. funny humorous conversations but also very good business conversations i think it's one of the top most downloaded business podcasts so clearly it it works it's long form it publishes regularly it shouldn't work but yeah but it does right and he also has an accompanying newsletter with it which every newsletter is about ten thousand words long and people read it yeah because it's good yeah so yes to yes i i reckon in the future there'll be a lot more people trading on the fact they've got original ip and original idea and we'll probably have less yeah. content 
but more when it does appear, it will be longer, especially the human generated stuff. It will be longer, more thoughtful. So I can definitely attest to that. And I think that model works for higher ed as well, especially on like the professional education side. Yeah. If Chris Lothead dropped a course, I'd do it. Yeah. I pay two hundred dollars a year for his new le- newsletter. Yeah. Right? So I, it's it's easy for me. So if an individual professional can do it, who's a published author and stuff, I don't understand why a school that has all those resources and all those thought leaders can't use the same model across yeah. those subject areas that that matter to them. It seems to me a model that's built for education. Yeah. Even you look at like Mr. Beast, right? Like the most popular creator of all time. And I mean, he's still, it's every two weeks, right? Like he, 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 that he posts a a new video and again, his stuff is insane. So of course it like, he's, you know, he needs probably more than two weeks, but like he needs every second of those 14 days, but he's not posting every day, right? He can't, right? And, And yet he's the number one creator. And so this is my other thing too, is like every time I hear somebody in higher ed talk about students have like really short attention spans and that's why like they don't invest in long form content. I'm like, is that is it true that students have short attention spans? If that were true, no, Netflix binging wouldn't be a thing amongst you know Gen Z, right? And, and and absolutely it is, right? People would not be spending all this time on TikTok. The reality is their expectation for content is just significantly higher, and so they have very low tolerance, probably more low, you know, a lower tolerance than any of us with respect to watching crappy content. Like I'm still willing to give something some time, right? If it's been recommended, I'll be like, all right, I'll, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll give it a full two episodes, right? But but after that, I'm like, done. My my younger brother, like he'll he'll be watching something for 10 minutes and he, uh, I'm done. I'm like, dude, you gotta give like them time to build. And like yet every bit, bit of content that he's been exposed to since he got on, online, right? Has has been created and, and, and tailored to maximize every possible millisecond, right? And, and anyways, all that is to say, I think that it's it's a lie to think that if you just can't compete, if you just can't deliver content consistently, you should just not create content at all. It's like, no, 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 no. Like you absolutely need to be creating content. And if you can't do it consistently and it, it's also not quality, then fine. But prioritize quality within reason, right? Again, I don't want people thinking that they can post one or two things a year. But, but focus on quality over over quantity. I also think like long form student conversations that are done well and well produced, like the, you do not see a lot of those. Like there are not like hour long discussions with students at colleges and universities that are well produced and on YouTube, right? Every student story is like four minutes, if not shorter, right? And, and, and like, why is that? These, these young people, they listen to these podcasts that are hours and hours long, right? Why do we think they wouldn't be interested in like a deep dive into a long form discussion with a series of students about their, you know, university experience? I don't know. Well, it's it's interesting you say that because I I look at some of these four minute videos that you're talking about and I can see why the the signals to the marketing team might be that that's perhaps too long. Yeah. Uh, It's because they have huge drop-off, but the reason they have huge drop-off is because the student's uncomfortable. They've got a camera directly in their face. They're trying to remember the script that's in their heads. Mm -hmm. They're not real. Whereas in the podcast, I very rarely listen to a student who feels jilted. They're much more relaxed and it's easier to listen to that, to that content. So yeah, I don't think it's a length problem. I think it's more to do with how it's constructed and the expectations around that. If you chuck someone in a seat with a ton of lights on them and say, right, tell us about your experience, you're not going to get a good answer. So yeah, using that 
student content and maybe yeah you cut it up into short clips so you can you know pull people from those short form networks into that longer form piece but yeah i think it's an underrated form it's not used enough and the ones i've seen are really good the worst thing i see is when universities actually strike gold they've got an amazing student host and the rapport that they have with the the guests is really strong and then they stop publishing the thing after 10 episodes. Yeah. It kills me. Yeah. Because it, it was good. It was good. Yeah. You know, why, why stop? Yeah. Um, but this is what we have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's it's not easy, right? If it's easy, everyone would do it. But I think one of the other reasons why everyone looks at these, like, student testimonials and feels like they're all the same is because, like, if you if I were to sit down with you, Kyle, and meet you for the first time, our first four minutes of conversation, like, meet you in real life for the first time, our first four minutes of conversation would probably be like pretty similar to the first four minutes of conversation that I would have with anybody else, right? Like they're just the basics that you cover, right? Hey, I'm Zach. Oh, what do you do? I do this. Oh, do you have kids? Yes, I have a son, you know, and you tell me a little bit like those those first few minutes, right, are, are, are pretty identical no matter con- like no matter the context. Maybe the context changes a little bit if we're at like a professional networking event versus you know, I just met you at the bar, but like those first few minutes are going to be pretty identical. And so it's, it's funny. Obviously these videos are longer than just, obviously the actual interviews are longer than just four minutes, but it takes a lot of time to get people to your point, feeling comfortable also to help people figure out and realize like what it is they actually want to say, right? Think about when you're putting on the spot, when you're interviewed, like, I know this is true for me, my, I just go to answer the question and I'm always wondering, oh shoot, am I being too long? Am, am I being too long-winded? Is this too short? Is this the response that the host is looking for? Did I sound stupid? Like, you know, all those questions are running through your head. And if you just give it more time and you allow more context to unfold and you allow me to get a little bit more comfortable, that's where you strike gold. And, and yeah. for some reason, we don't do that at scale in higher ed. No, we don't give people time to think. And if you think about how social media has evolved over the years, it's always been that thing that fills the gap. Mm. And when you're waiting for something, what do you do? You get your phone out. Mm. I haven't been bored in 10 years. I don't like it. (laughs) I think boredom's good because it helps you be introspective. It helps you consider things, but we might be losing that. Your point about, oh, what was your last thought? Sorry, remind me, Zach. I've just lost it out of my head. Oh, talking about... uh it takes a while for people to be comfortable. The first four minutes of any conversation are pretty much identical. Uh, okay. Yeah. I noticed a really good university hero video the, the other day where, do you know, you get those hero videos where you sometimes get a, a voiceover, but yeah. the voiceover sounds like it's been read from a script by someone who's never been a student in their life. Right. <laughs> um, this video took an entirely different approach. It was normal sort of footage you mm. see in those sort of things. But the voiceover had clearly been cut from those longer paced conversations. Mm. So there's probably like a previous podcast they did or something, but they've taken those golden clips, those golden moments, and they repurposed them as the script, the voiceover for this video. And it was so good. Wow. And I'm trying to imagine what that would have been like if it was just that standard voice piece and scripted versus that authentic captured dialogue from a conversation. It's miles apart. It was so good. And it's such a basic thing yeah. you can be doing. We've all got B-roll. It's just sitting around. So yeah. record a bunch of students talking about topics that matter to the university, that matter to you, and you'll be amazed how you can repurpose those voices. They're so powerful if they're used correctly. Yeah. It'd be interesting as as we uh, as we wrap here, Kyle, if like, 
folks got into a room next time they're going to plan a video or any sort of like content, long form content piece, maybe it's a podcast series, maybe it's a, a video series, whatever it is. If you got into a room with whoever's involved in the project and you just started, the first thing that you started with is like a list of all the things that you can't do, right? Like, hey, we can't open with like a drone shot of like campus or we can't open, you know, whatever, whatever it is, right? In the spirit of just trying to sort of ideate on different ideas. I think what's so difficult is like, again, to our earlier conversation about it taking time for people to warm up brainstorming takes time and you've got to be in the right like you can't brainstorm a great idea in like 30 minutes with 10 people in a room like it's just impossible and you know like Jeff Bezos at Amazon he did this thing that I think is great it's really difficult for many of us I think normal people to replicate but like he would have folks write I believe it was like six pages like a six page memo essentially with their ideas like before a meeting and then everybody would go around the room and they'd read their like four to six pages whatever it was of like hey here's my idea of how we would solve this particular problem and I think you know in an ideal world where people had a little bit more time stuff like that would be great if you can't do that though maybe you just start with like let's start with all the, like the no like the no-nos like we're not going to do this we're not going to do that and then once you've like, you know, put that up on a whiteboard or whatever it is, then, then like the creativity starts, right? And that's where like real new ideation can, can be born. And I think that sometimes it, it really is about these simple frameworks, these sim- you know, not that that solves the problem or not that that's going to make the video for you, but it's a tool that I feel like all of us, regardless of our role or context could take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the reasons I write every day on LinkedIn. I I use it to connect with people and, you know, talk about topics that that matter to my audience. But I I also do it so I learn and and develop. And by writing things down, Mm. you you can be more creative because you can recall that stat easier. You can make that very weird connection of a post you did last week with one you did last year. Yeah, And that connection, otherwise, it's very hard to recall that from just reading alone so i really like that although i can't imagine making someone write six pages before they had a meeting with me <laughs> it's a bit cruel <laughs> it is i guess if you're jeff bezos you can kind of do whatever you, you want can do anything so, can't yeah, you? yeah yeah well kyle this has been a as as i knew it would be a really fun wide-ranging conversation for folks who do who are listening to this conversation and, and want some help here like you are one of the very few people in the industry that i would sincerely recommend folks work with because you think differently and you do the work. I see you doing the work every day. So if there's somebody listening to this podcast that needs some help for themselves or, or their team and they're interested in, in working with you, do you have like standard like packages? Do you have, oh, do you have availability right now? Like how, how might folks engage with you if they can and, and, and need to? Yeah. I mean, of course, I mean, if you can go to my website, educationmarketer.com co.uk and that lists all the various ways that you can work with me overarchingly you can engage me as a, a consultant to help you solve a, a content problem in an education marketing context or if you just want to bring some new thinking into your team or, or share ideas i am also available for speaking and talking about some of the topics i have covered here today but anything really that's you want to reappropriate and maybe design a bigger conversation around it's good fun going into different organizations and, and meeting people because None of them are identical. And you know, who else gets the opportunity to go around and speak to a different school? It's a wonderful thing. And sometimes I feel like 
you need that outside perspective to come in and talk on something like antiviral mm -hmm. content just to get the creative juices flowing. Like sometimes that, that is that is the difference that you need in your team is is really just to have somebody else start the conversation. So we'll have links to Kyle's website in the show notes below. He's I'll have links to his LinkedIn as well. If you're not already following or connected to Kyle, I highly, highly recommend that you that you remedy that as soon as possible. But Kyle, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the great work that you do. It's it's an honor to know you and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us today. Cheers, man. Speak soon. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Enrollify podcast. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.